In today's episode, I had Larry Hagner on, the host of the Dad Edge podcast, also the leader of the Dad Edge community, where they're helping dads all over become better husbands, better fathers, better leaders in the workplace. They are doing everything needed to help improve their lives. And I'm really excited about it because I know it is such a big problem in society today for men. And it's something we talk about on this podcast a little bit, but to hear him talk about it is a whole different thing. So we talk about different tactical things you can do to improve as a dad. We also go over some cool little things you can do on how to have a difficult conversation with your spouse or your kids. And uh, I thought it was really cool at the end, just uh, hearing the vision for what he wants to do. So make sure you guys stay till the end. And now let's jump into it. If you've ever wanted to invest with me on my real estate deals, it's now possible. At Pineda Capital, we're purchasing value-add real estate all across the country. This includes multifamily, commercial, and land development. The best part is, with my network, social media presence, and marketing strategies, we're able to get the very best deals that others don't have access to. You can join in with me on those deals if you're an accredited investor. If you want to learn more, head over to PinedaCapital.com to see our current opportunities. Once again, that's PinedaCapital.com. One of the hardest parts about real estate investing is finding a good contractor. That's where Southwestern Custom Construction comes in. They've been doing remodels in Nevada and Arizona since 2006. As a fully licensed and bonded general contractor, they're able to help with any type of renovation, all the way from an entry-level fixer-upper to a custom luxury home. Southwestern Custom Construction specializes in working with investors. I've personally used them on many of my projects, so I know their team is legit. If you want to get a bid on a project, head over to customhomenow.com. Once again, that's customhomenow.com. Welcome to the Ryan Pineda Show. Where our mission is to invest. I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. Now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ryan Pineda Show. In today's episode, I have got Larry Hagner. He is the podcast host of the Dad Edge, and he has a whole community of dads and just uh, you know a bunch of great dudes trying to kill it and uh, improve all aspects of you know their life, not just you know business and everything that we usually talk about, but you know being a good father, being a good husband, all these things. So. Super excited to have you on the show, man. Man, thanks. Uh, you've got a killer setup here, man. You know. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, what what's uh, your setup look like back back home? So my my setup looks just like this. Cool. Not at all. Not well, at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually you know it's not bad. I mean I do share. So I have an office within my house. Yeah. Which means I do have my kids sometimes bomb some podcasts, which is kind of funny. I do have my own office though. I've got like this uh, this wood sort of wall with with our huge logo on the back and nice it is all swagged out but every now and again you might see a seven-year-old or a five-year-old <laughs> one of the best things was I, I interviewed chris voss who is the former hostage negotiator for the fbi yeah and he just came walking in because he couldn't find his colors and chris just went along with the ride man he's just like who's this guy and they, <laughs> they started talking so yeah every now and again there's a kid in there dude i yeah. love that we uh you know, when I'm out at events and stuff, I actually was at an event that Chris was at before. He was a great speaker. Um, but I'll go film at hotel rooms. I'll go film um, in my friend's houses and stuff. And we just aired an episode with my friend Jamil. And um, he had like three dogs just like running around, like barking. I'm like, hey, we're going to roll with it. See what yeah, happens. Yeah. Um, but that's cool, man. So uh, for those people who don't yet know you, um, why don't you give them a brief rundown of kind of what you're doing today, and then we'll kind of talk about how you got there. Sure. So I run a podcast called the Dad Edge Podcast. It actually started as the Good Dad Project Podcast, and there there's a story behind that. It started in 2015. I have been married for 18 years. I've known my wife for 25 years. We met in college. I have four boys. Yes, four. Yeah, that's a yeah. lot of boys. That's a lot of boys. It's a lot Did of Did you keep trying until you, you got a girl and it's just didn't happen or what? Well, you know, what's so funny is, uh, the only one that we had intentionally on purpose was my 15 year old. Who's actually here with us in studio. Shout out to you, Ethan. That's right, Ethan. You, they wanted you. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we didn't want the other ones, but yeah. we just didn't expect it. 
So yeah. it's been, uh, you know, and I have a 13 year old, I have a seven year old and I have a five year old. Uh, basically what I help men do is what I like to call live a legendary life. And what that means is create an extraordinary marriage, right? And there's elements to that. Help men connect with their kids like they never have. Uh, help men become a better leader in business, which I know that that's what this podcast is really based on. Help them take care of themselves, right? Because men will be, you and I were talking about this before the show, men will be very noble, or at least think that it's noble to not take care of themselves. But physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health is something that we, we talk a lot about. We help men sharpen that up. Nice. Yeah. Dude, I love that. And lucky for you, um, the analytics tell me that the majority of my audience are men. I would probably guess like bet. 80% are men. So um, I think you're talking to a lot of people. And even if um, you're one of the rare women listening to this podcast, I think go give it to your man uh, and, and make him listen. And uh, just, I guess, also hear from you know our perspective as well about um, you know, some of the difficulties we have as, as dads and husbands and um, just being leaders. I mean, we all struggle with those things. So I want to know, you know, obviously that's where you're at today. Um, you're leading a ton of men and, and changing lives. How'd you get there? It wasn't pretty. Uh, it wasn't pretty at all. I, I'll, I'll start with my childhood. Um, my childhood was pretty chaotic and I, I'll share some, some things that happened and they aren't pretty, uh, but I don't share this story out of pity. I mean, it just is what it is. We come from where we come from. My mom and biological father were married in 71. They had me in 75 shortly thereafter, after they had me, they got divorced. Uh, he left after that. I have no recollection of him at that point. In fact, this is kind of funny. Uh, I remember being four years old and I remember being in preschool and I knew what a dad was because men would come and pick up their kids from school. But I knew that we didn't have one, but it didn't bother me because I was just like, well, you know, my mom just hasn't found our dad yet. Cause in my mind, that's how dads came along. <laughs> kids, you just find a dad. That's right. Kids yeah. magically appear and, and dads just are found after a while. So I'll never forget the first time my mom brought a man home that she was dating and they met at work. He was a white collar data software engineer. I mean, dude, this is 1979. And yeah. I, I remember the first time a man come walking into our house and he was wearing a three piece suit. He had the double Windsor tie. He had the handlebar mustache. Yeah. He had the feathered hair. My mom introduced me to this guy and I just remember feeling like, oh my gosh, man, like there's a, there's a guy in my house. There's a man in my house. And the first thing I said to this poor guy when I shook his hand was, are you going to be my dad? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, easy kid. I'm just here for dinner. <laughs> but you know, what happened was, is I really think my mom took that as a sign that, man, maybe I should you know, get married. He's a good guy. And I think she went into that relationship with the best of intentions. I mean, and what I can tell you is that they were married for five years. And when he was sober, he was very nice, very kind. He was ex-military, very successful in, in the workplace, taught me about manners, please, thank you, yes, sir, no, sir. But when he was drinking, which was often, you know, it got really bad. You know, there, there would be times where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd hear my mom screaming and I'd walk in their bedroom and he'd have her held down and they were hitting each other. There were times that the cops were called from the neighbors. He had a heavy hand with me. I mean, I still remember vividly what it was like, you know, the smell of beer on his breath as he was in my face, slapping me or hitting me. Uh, they got divorced when I was 10. And the last year that they were together, it was really tough, man. Like I remember being nine years old and he had lost his job and he was living downstairs in our unfinished basement and my mom was living upstairs. And I'll never forget being nine years old and going downstairs like three times a day because he would just sleep on the cold floor and just to make sure he was still alive because I was just freaking out that he, I never saw him. He never came up to eat or drink or have dinner with us or anything. He was just down there the whole time. Wow. They got divorced when I was 10. And I have not seen him since. Wow. Yeah. Um, did you have a question? Sorry. No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, that's really tough to hear as, you know, a kid growing up, like, you know, that's, that's your father figure. Yeah, it was. And at the time I, I didn't even know that I had a biological father. I started asking a lot of questions and my mom was like, yeah, actually I was married before you have a, you have a biological father. You've really never met. I mean, you, you don't remember him. She showed me their wedding photos and albums and all that. Well, as fate would have it when I was 12, so I was in seventh grade, uh, I knew his name 
and I knew I knew his first and last name. And I won't go into the details because it's kind of long. But I actually ran into him. Wow, as fate just randomly, him. randomly, yeah. He uh, and it was so cool, man. He was remarried, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. Man, I was so excited. I was like, because I think at that age, you know, at twelve years old, you really want a father figure. And I started calling him dad right away, and spending time with him. And he would come to all my little league games. You know, we I was over at his house, and then within that sixth month that we were we had a relationship, something was wrong. Something was just off. It was the best way I can describe it is I'm sure you've dated a girl and you've reached a point where maybe she's just not into you anymore and you feel it, but she hasn't told you yet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the, the switch is flipped and you feel that way, but you haven't said it yet. So I, I remember one day picking up the phone and I was just like, you know, hey, everything okay with us? Like what's going on? And, and I just remember, I don't even remember what the words were said, but it was basically... I can't do this right now. It's me. It's not you. And that was really hard. And then he exited my life again. And my mom continued to date, get remarried. It was always the same guy, the heavy drinker, the partier, the abuser. And in my eighth grade year, man, I fell into a pretty dark hole in my life. Um, I overate. I was heavy. I failed the eighth grade. I actually had to do eighth grade twice. Mm. Um, I really got my act together, went to high school, went to college, met my wife, we got married. Uh, and here's where the story kind of ends. When I was 30, uh, two things happened in my life. Number one, I became a father for the first time to this young man right over here who's in studio with us. Yeah. And I was in a Starbucks in St. Louis for a business meeting. And I remember looking at the door, just some somebody caught my eye and it was, it was my father. Well, I, you recognized him again after 18 yeah. years. I had not seen him in 18 years. Uh, he just looked looked pretty much the same, just, just a little older. And I remember the coworker that I was with, and she looked at me, she's like, are you okay? You look like you've just seen a ghost. And I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Uh, but my father just walked in the door, and she was like, oh, my God, like, what are you going to say? And I said, nothing. I mean, it's been 18 years. Last time I talked to him, I was 12, and he told me it wasn't the right time. What am I going to say to him now? So without one word, she got up. And just walked over to him. <laughs> was, Here we go. It was so uncomfortable, man. I mean, at that point in time, I was just like, do I do I run? Do I go to the bathroom? Do I get out of here? What do I do? And I'll never forget, he was about 50 feet away from me, and she sat down next to him. And I couldn't hear what he had to say, but I read his lips. And he said, where is he? And he looked around, and our eyes met. And that was a surreal moment because he just got up, and he humbly walked over, and he's extended his hand. He's just like, Hey man, like, how are you doing? Like, how's life? And it's so good to see you. And he's very humble. You know, one thing I tell you about my dad is, you know, he's been married to the same woman now for over 40 years. I have two younger half brothers. He is an, uh, super successful entrepreneur. And what I can tell you is that it was tough for me in the beginning, but we have created a relationship now over the past 16 years that has, it's been good. And I think in life, you have a decision that you always you can always make. You're either going to focus on how wrong maybe the past was or hold you know hold grudges for people who made decisions that they did at the time or you can focus on what could be and what what the possibilities could be. And that's the decision I've made and we've had a great relationship ever since. But what I can tell you about the Dad Edge and what used to be the Good Dad project um, I made an oath to myself when I got married and started having kids. I am not going to be the man that I saw, wh- whoever my mom was either married to or dating, because they were all pretty much the same guys. I'm going to do this different. And what I can tell you is I was not doing it much different. Now, I wasn't beating my kids, yelling them, yelling at them, or you know, screaming and abusing my wife in an alcoholic haze. But I was just sort of, I did fatherhood and marriage from like out here, from like an arm's length. I, I got all my validation in the workplace because I was really good at my, my job with sales. I was always a leader. I was always getting promoted. I was always you know, rep of the year, leader of the year, whatever it was. But something was missing. And that was the connection with my wife that I desperately wanted. That was patience with my kids that I desperately wanted. Um, I didn't have patience with them. I didn't have patience with myself. And I'm happy to talk to you about how Dad Edge even got started because, man, it wasn't pretty. It was a very, very dark moment. Yeah. 
you know, I definitely would love to hear, um, you know, about the, the origin of, of Dad Edge. You know, just listening to your story, one thing that really stood out to me was, um, you know, it made me reflect on my childhood, right? And um, I was very privileged, you know. My mom and dad have been together, you know, their whole marriage. Neither either neither of them has, you know, had to remarry or anything. You know, there's no other half-brothers or sisters or divided family. Um, you know, in fact, my mom and dad, they don't even drink. They don't do anything, you know. And uh, I, I grew up in a home that was um, very loved. You know, my, my dad took me to sports. Um, he was an entrepreneur, um, taught me hard work. You know, but he also taught me discipline. You know, he he made sure I was in line and doing what I was supposed to do. And, um, you know, I, I just grew up in this family that was like your classic American family. Like, it was great. And when I hear your story as well as, you know, other people I've had on the podcast and um, just hearing other entrepreneur stories and athletes especially, um, you just see like, man, the odds are you grew up in a broken home. I feel like, you know, it's like very rarely is it like, man, your parents did it right. Um, usually there's divorce, there's neglect, there's abuse, there's drunkenness, there's whatever, right? Everyone's got their issues, but, uh, it just made me reflect like, man, I'm, I'm just so thankful that, uh, you know, my dad did it right. And, uh, in fact, my dad works for me now. Like it's, it's just serious. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, it's just, you know, I, hearing your story and where it's led you today, I'm like, man, I'm just grateful. I, I didn't have to go through that, but it also makes your story so much more powerful because you can relate to so many more people. Yeah. I mean, I, I can relate with some, I mean, some of the darkest moments in a man's life without a, either I've seen it or I've been there. Right. And I've been doing this work now. I mean, it really took off in 2013 and then I started the podcast 2015 we started our mastermind community in 2016 and that's where I really got to hear the stories and what brings men pain and then what brings them joy. And I always say, you can't share a story with me at this point that I'm not going to be surprised. You know, I, I, I truly feel that I've heard it all at this point, you know, but for me with, with dad edge, um, you know, <laughs> I wasted the first six years of my kid's life, uh, not showing up or stepping into even near the potential that I could have been. And even now, I mean, doing this work, I feel like there's still so much more room to grow, but I'll never forget, you know, this whole thing started with, with, um, the good dad project. That's what we used to, that's what we named it. And there's a story behind that. So my youngest at the time was four. My son, who's in studio with us today, was six. We were getting, we were packing up our home and we were getting ready to move. I hate moving. And just to kind of give you a gauge of what it was like, my wife and I, on a scale of one to 10 with marriage, it's probably a four. We weren't headed for divorce, not even really talking about it, but we were definitely disconnected. Just kind of floating through life. Yeah, we were existing. Yeah. Stagnant. Uh, yeah, I, I got all my validation at the time I was doing martial arts and I got all my validation from that. And I also got all my validation in the workplace and I just sort of showed up kind of, sort of not really in the marriage. And I didn't really show up with my kids. I just didn't know how I just wasn't getting the valid, you know, men tend to go in the direction where they get a lot of validation, right. And a lot of joy and, you know, fatherhood and marriage, man, it can be, it can be super tricky. It can be messy. Uh, we can self-sabotage ourselves like nobody's business. And I was packing up our kids' playroom. And again, my, my oldest was six at the time. Youngest was four. And I had a couple beers that night. And I packed up all my kids' toys. And my four-year-old came down to the playroom and he said, hey, I just said, hey, uh, I just packed up all your toys. Uh, I'm going to go take a break. Do me a favor. Play with the toys that are out don't play with any of the toys that are in the boxes. And what do you think happened? Playing with them. Yeah. He, I came downstairs 30 minutes later, you know, the, the playroom has got toys everywhere. And I got so angry and I spanked him. First time I ever laid a hand on my kid. 
but I spanked him so hard that he hit the ground. And the, the thing that got me was, you know, there was anger that was building up. There was frustrations. There was no direction. There was no strategy. Like I just felt lost. And I went to help him up. And the kid, you know how you see a, a beaten dog and every time you go to pet the dog, it, it shudders. My four-year-old looked at me like he was absolutely terrified of me. And to that point, I had never hit him. Um, but I think kids are pretty attuned to energy and tension and whether or not they feel safe. And even though I'd never hit my kid at that point, he was scared of me. And I helped him up. And my wife, who is one of the most respectful women I know, she never nags me for anything. She never emasculates me. She does nothing but build me up. She does nothing but compliment me. She looked at me and she was like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Like, why would you do that? He's four. And it was in that moment because my wife never speaks up like that unless something's really wrong. Mm -hmm. And, that, man, I was devastated. I went into my office that night, and I do what every adult does. When we have a bad moment, I got on social media just to distract myself. It was dark in my office. I had tears in my eyes. I was on Facebook, and I don't know what it, I, I I truly think it was divine intervention. I don't know what it was, but I saw this button on Facebook. It said, create a page, and I clicked it. And the words, the Good Dad Project, just rolled off my mind, off my heart, and onto that computer keyboard. And I started that page. I never did it for a following. I never did it for business. I never did it for anything other than like, I was going to be this project. I was the good dad project. I was not a good father and I was destined, I was determined to be one. And I thought to myself, what if I learned something new every day? I'm always so eager to learn how to be a better business person, a better salesperson, a better leader, a better, better manager, better what, but you know, what actions am I taking in my life to be a better husband? What actions am I taking in my life to be a better father? And there was none. And it was in that moment I just surrendered. And I was like, man, I'm going to learn something new every day. And I did. And from there, that was the springboard. You know, I, I launched the blog in 2013, gooddadproject.com. Started Good Dad Project podcast in 2015. Wrote my first book in 2015 called The Dad's Edge. Uh, we just changed the name of the podcast back in 2018. That was the only change. 750 episodes later, we've got a huge mastermind for men called Dadage Alliance. I do hundreds of men that do life with us. We have 35 mastermind sessions we do per week. And what I can tell you is I have had the honor of having great people like you on the show, Jocko Willink, Matthew McConaughey, celebrities, athletes, World Series champions. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because... What I can tell you about men in general, no matter where we're operating in our life, man, we all put our pants on the same way when it comes to fatherhood and it brings us to our knees. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. That's a, it's an amazing story. Um, and I, I mean, obviously I can just tell, uh, the pain it brings you even retelling the story. Right. And, um, it's crazy how life like life is like that, you know, it's like 12 years later, it still like stings, you know, uh, a mistake, but you know, uh, I'll tell you, even for me, some of the best things that I've ever done or created are because of mistakes I've made. And so, you know, you call it a divine intervention and everything. It's like, you know, God obviously had a plan. Um, and it's, it's brought everything that's happened to this point, um, together and, you know, 750 episodes. And I think you're telling me you have a fourth book, you know, on the way. And, um, it's like, it's crazy, you know, and, and to see all of that growth. And, um, I'll tell you too, I've seen many successful people, um, on my show or just friends and whatever too. And like you said, they're all in the same boat. They all put their pants on the same way. Um, and I would honestly argue that the majority of them struggle um, more than just like the average guy, um, mainly because 
they're so dedicated to their craft and the success of whatever it is, whether it's baseball, whether it's acting, whether it's, you know, running their business, like, right. They're, they're known as this public figure who's has all this success. And if they don't have that success, it's like their life is ruined. Um, and so they're willing to sacrifice, you know, family, faith, their health, everything in order to maintain that level of success, you know, externally, whatever validates them. And so, um, I'm sure you've, you've mentored a lot of these people in their, during your program, like, you know, better than me. Um, but I, I just have noticed that trend as well. I think a lot of men, wherever life, wherever they feel that they come alive the most or that they feel success and, and validation, it's easy to focus a ton of time and energy and attaboys into that space, right? Because that's where we, that's where we get to live, right? And if you think about it this way, you know, I had Frankie, I don't know if you're a UFC fan or not, but I had Frankie Edgar on the show. He's, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's, he has actually spent the most minutes in the cage of any fighter to date. He's taken a lot of beatings. He has taken a lot of beatings. <laughs> That's what makes me think. <laughs> okay. But he, uh, he and I were talking about this and I was like, man, cause I was on, I was on his podcast and I was like, listen, I was like, what if, what if men in general, right? What if, what if people in general, when it came to their relationships and their family and their kids and wives or husbands, what if we looked at that area of our life? Like we look at our professional lives. So like, for instance, it takes 990 hours of training for a cadet, a police cadet, to go from cadet to actually go on the streets, right? It takes eight years of medical school, two years of fellowship and residency to be a surgeon. Uh, and Frankie and I were talking about this, and I said, you know, you've been a UFC fighter for 16 years. You're 145 pounds. I'm 185 pounds. Now, if I were to get in the cage with you for 60 seconds, you would pummel me like absolutely pummel me if I didn't train. Even if I did train, chances are you pummel me, right? But here's the thing. I wouldn't expect anything less because you're the pro. You've spent so much time and energy training for this. Not to, not to mention the fact that no one else would blame me either because they're like, well, yeah, what were you thinking? Right. You got in the cage with Frankie Edgar. Like, you're going to get pummeled. Did you train? No, of course not. However, when it comes to marriage and when it comes to raising our kids, even our own mindset, we don't go through those trainings. We don't learn those skills. And yet we expect and we put all this pressure on ourselves that we, we have to, and it must come naturally. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man. Yeah. There's definitely people are not training to be a dad. I thought you were going to actually tell, um, a, I, I don't know if I've heard this joke or I thought of it, but it's like, you're like, yeah, it takes 2000 hours to, to be this guy or, you know, and at thousand hours to be a cadet. And I was like, yeah, and it takes, you know, some guys two minutes to be a dad. If, if even that long, if not, <laughs> it might take two seconds, but you know, now you're yeah. a dad yeah, <laughs> and uh, you got to deal with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I want to talk about, uh, just what you guys are doing at the dad edge. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to find deals yourself? That's where Fundrise comes in. Fundrise is a crowdfunding platform that has transacted over $5 billion in real estate and has over 150,000 active investors. While many funds, like my own, require accredited investors, Fundrise allows anyone to invest with as little as $500. If you'd like to learn more, check out Fundrise.com. Once again, that's Fundrise.com. A quick word from our sponsor. One of the best ways to get off-market real estate deals is through cold calling. And if you want to reach as many people as fast as possible, then you need Batch Dialer. With their predictive dialing technology and built-in CRM, Batch Dialer is one of the top dialers in the industry. You can switch between single or multi-line dialing, as well as do voicemail drops and call recordings. And for being a listener of The Ryan Pineda Show, you'll get a seven-day free trial. Just go to batchdialer.com slash Ryan. Once again, that's batchdialer.com slash Ryan. Now, back to the show. So we understand that there's a big problem with, you know, fatherhood training, right? I mean, where do you even go? Most people have no idea. Most people probably don't even have friends or people that are good dads that they could emulate or even, you know, have mentor them or pick their brain. Um, like, what does a normal guy do? 
So what a normal guy, what a normal guy will do is they will continue to be like, well, this should come naturally to me. And then what happens when we hit roadblocks and things don't go the way we thought they would, a lot of men will start to isolate themselves even more. They'll start to self-sabotage, but we do it very, very quietly. You know, sometimes the biggest bully in our ear is the one that's between our two ears, right? I should be a better father. I shouldn't have done that. This should come naturally. We take big steaming piles of should all over ourselves as fathers. And we usually ask ourselves pretty poor questions. Like, why can't I communicate with my wife? Why can't I connect with her? Why can't I be a more patient father? Why can't I talk to my kids easier? And again, blessing for being for for dad edge podcast and being in the front row seat to a great education i've had lead operators on there navy seals you know jocko willink was one mark divine was one and one thing that they always say is quality of your questions will determine the quality of your life so if you're asking yourself really poor questions like why can't i why can't i communicate with my wife why can't i be more patient you know your brain is wired like google whatever it is that you're asking your mind it will give you the answer. So it's like, oh, you don't know, you, you want to know why you can't communicate with your wife? Let me tell you. So really it boils down to how might I, how right. might we, how might I have more patience? What do I need to learn? What needs to be different in my life to have those things, right? And there's all, you know, so if, like for instance, to create an extraordinary marriage, there are four elements to creating an extraordinary marriage. And those four elements sit on a foundation of how do you communicate? You know, how do we communicate with our wives? And the same thing with kids, right? Creating an environment of boundaries, psychological safety. That's another one where your kids will open up and tell you anything and everything. Uh, creating connection, asking them better questions. Like, I am not a fan of how was your day. I hate that question. I've been guilty of asking it. Uh, better questions, right? Determine better conversations. And when you can elevate conversation with your kids or even your wife, you're going to elevate connection. Mm. The problem is, is that we don't know exactly how to do that sometimes. And we don't know what it looks like. And as a man, uh, we certainly don't want to ask how to no. do that. No, we, we never want to, uh, be perceived as weak or that we don't know. And all these things, um, right. As you were talking about asking better questions, it made me um, remember a book that I read called The Road Less Stupid. You ever read it? I haven't. I thought you were going to say The Road Less Traveled. No, 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 The Road Less Stupid. And uh, <laughs> it's a really good book by Keith Cunningham. And I uh, highly recommend everyone on this podcast to, to read it because it basically takes that concept of asking the right questions um, and really making a routine out of it. And so... He has this uh, process he calls think time. And so really during think time, you put away your phone, you get rid of everything you've got going on, no distractions, and all you have is a pen and a journal. And what you do during think time is just ask yourself difficult questions. And it's not like, you know, why can't I do this? It's how do I do this, right? What am I missing? And so for me, when I do a think time, it, whatever it is I'm going through my business or my life at that time, I will ask myself a difficult question to try and create an answer that I've never thought about, you know? So I might say, okay, the podcast is pretty successful. How do I get bigger people on? How do I reach more people? And so I'll start thinking about these things like, okay, well, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but maybe I could you know, buy some ads and, and get, um, you know, more eyeballs on it that way. Maybe I could reach out to these podcast distributors and these companies, right? Cause we just distribute our own. Maybe I can join forces with iHeartRadio or, or whatever. Right. And these are the things that you got to just start thinking about. And there's no wrong answers. It's just like throw everything, do a brain dump. And just after that review all of your answers. And it's like, Okay, like now we're talking about some solutions to get better. So I love that book. Oh, yeah. now, now you got my next book identified, so thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally agree. You got to ask yourself difficult questions in order to improve. If you just think that you're going to get this divine revelation every week, good luck. Or we're so busy, right? Men love to use that. You know, I, I call it the- Or distracted. Distract, or distracted. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. You know, 
I always say that men will answer every question with three words and they're all four letter words. Good, fine, and busy, mm. right? Good, fine, and busy. And we don't take the time. We are busy, but we don't take the time to do exactly what you're talking about, which is that think time. Like just think about what you're, think about think time. Yeah. <laughs> think, think about what life would look like and how it would be different if you took a handful of minutes every day and just started asking yourself different questions without distraction. I mean, right. that that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm with you. Um, I was actually, <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time on social media, ironically, considering how much I post. But uh, I, I saw this TikTok and it was this guy who mentors billionaires. He's like, 98% of billionaires are introverted. He's like, 2% of them are just, you know, out there just running around all crazy, being the center of attention, whatever. He's like, most of them are very self-reflective. They spend a lot of time alone just trying to figure out what to do. And when I look at my life too, and I'm definitely not a billionaire, um, but I'm like, yeah, that kind of is what I do as well. And other successful people I know, like they, we spend a lot of time alone, just like thinking or, you know, absorbing knowledge and, you know, listening to podcasts or whatever, like things that are going to make us better. Whereas I think most men spend their idle time, um, doing things that are just to pass time, whether it's watching Netflix, whether it's even, you know, I, as an athlete, I hate to say this, but you know, going and watching the game, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with watching the game, but yo, if, if you watch all, you know, 162 baseball games that year, how much time did you waste? Like, it's just distracting. So uh, I'm a big, uh, you know, proponent of making sure you spend time just to think. I think that is an absolute game changer. I don't do the journal thing, but that that's something that, as you talked about that, what really emerged for me is like, what's missing in my, what I call sacred silence, where I start to reflect and ask myself different questions, but I do it quietly. I don't do it with a journal, but I know, I also know the power of journaling and what it's like to reflect, to write, to see what you're writing, to reflect it back, because it's, it's way more impactful if you are literally taking pen to paper, not text in your notes, right? But pen to paper, really reflecting the words and then the actions, the questions, the answers, and what that feels like to then reflect back on it after you've written it down. Yeah. Well, and you also have, you know, the, the, the writings from years, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have journals for the last bunch of years and I can look back at, man, what was I going through, you know, uh, during that time? What was I thinking? Uh, I was telling you before the podcast, uh, about my son, you know, he was in the NICU for two months when he was born. I'm like, you know, to be able to look back at my journal and see like what I was going through during that time and how it affected me in other areas of my life. I can tell you my business was definitely taking a back seat, you know, and I wasn't mentally there like I am today. So um, I think it's great to have just that as a historical document for yourself. There are times, it's funny you mention that because there are times where like, actually it was today. It was today, eight years ago, we had our first dad, good dad project at the time, dad edge, father, kid event where it was, we, we took these kids to, and, and their dads to indoor rock climbing. And I remember actually looking at that photo this morning cause it popped up on my feed. And I remember being like, Oh man, I remember just doing this one event and it was for fun, you know, to help dads and kids connect and to help me and my kids connect. And I was like thinking how green I was and I had zero clarity at the time of what we do today and just putting action out there, but just being completely clueless of what that was going to do and how, how that was going to take shape and form. But it did, it brought me back to that time, even seeing the photo, even though it wasn't a journal, but seeing the photo, it was just like, man, I remember remember exactly what I was feeling on that day. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything so much compared to now. Yeah, no, for sure. So what are some other things that the dad edge is doing? So the dad edge, we, so we have a community for men called dad edge Alliance, which I mentioned earlier, you know, we have almost 700 men that do life with us on the daily weekly. We run uh, 35 mastermind sessions per week, Sunday through Friday. And what we help men do is we really help them, like I said, optimize 
those five areas in their life where we we really don't get any education on right money money mastery is one right i mean i never t- i never you know, I, I i took college algebra i took algebra but i they ain't I, teaching you how to freaking invest they're not <laughs> teaching you how to invest they're not teaching you one thing i do with with my two older boys is every quarterly review i do with my financial advisor they come with me and mm-hmm. they actually invest their own money as well money mastery is one the other one is like i said optimizing physical mental emotional health most men Unfortunately, we don't take the time to take care of ourselves physically. And it's not for lack of that we don't want to. It's usually because, well, that's selfish. If I take time, if I take 45 minutes for me to go to the gym or do something for myself, that's selfish. So we constantly pour out for others. And unfortunately, it's our health that takes a beating. The same thing for mental and emotional, right? We, we really don't take the time. We like to lone wolf things. Uh, spiritually, some people are very solid with their faith and some aren't. You know, the third element is creating a legendary marriage, uh, an extraordinary marriage. You know, when Pete, when I ask men, eight out of 10 men that do life with us, that's their biggest reason. They want to create an extraordinary marriage. And when I say, when I ask them, well, what does an extraordinary marriage look like for you? And I always hear two adjectives that go, go along with that more and better. I want, I want more time with my wife. I want, I want better conversations with my wife. I want more intimacy with my wife. I want a better connection with her. We just don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, the four elements of an extraordinary marriage are your self-care, partnership. Partnership is more the business side of marriage, like the finances, the chores, the roles, all that. Friendship. You know, are you even friends with your wife? Uh, and then there's intimacy and lovers. Those four pillars sit on a foundation of epic communication. And again, when you ask people like, hey, what does great communication look like to you? It's always more communication or better. But there's skill sets within communication. You know, there's, as Chris Voss would say, there's tactical empathy, you know, to allow your wife, your, your, the three basic needs of your wife is to feel seen, to feel heard and to feel connected. And a man's three basic needs are to feel appreciated, respected, like it or not. The third one is validation. We like to know is what I'm doing enough, right? When it comes to communication, you have to use skill sets and learn skill sets like empathy. Empathy does not mean agreement. Uh, you also have to do, you have to learn active listening. You have to use things like labels, like mirrors, right? Um, emotional validation. Uh, so that's marriage. And when it comes to kids, it's creating an environment of psychological safety and connection and memories. That's not to say that there isn't discipline in there. There's discipline in there too. And then the final one is is being a leader within your workplace or within your own business. But that's, those are the elements within that community that we help men optimize. That's a lot. That's a, that is a lot. <laughs> it ain't something you're going to learn in a day. No, it's not. It's, it's, not. it's a whole lifelong journey to, you'll never master those things, but to continue to improve on those things and um, be the very best you can be, you know, in all aspects. And, you know, just listening to what you're saying about communication, um, you know, my wife and I, we've been married almost eight years now. And, you know, we dated for a year, we got engaged after a year of dating and then we got married, you know, it's pretty quick. I mean, I met her when she was 18 and all of that happened. She got married right when she turned 21. And, um, one of the things we did was, um, we had pre-marriage counseling at our church. And so our pastor, um, prescribed us the five love languages. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, great book. Anybody who hasn't read it, every time somebody tells me they haven't read it or heard of it, I'm like, you live under a rock? Like this is like rich dad, poor dad for business. Like it's just the classic and lists are reading that for the first time as a 23, 24 year old. I'm like, Whoa, I did not know that this is how you communicate. Yeah. You know how, how she perceives love and communication is way different than how I perceive it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm giving you what you want. Like, this is how I would think that, you know, you want love, but it's not. Yeah. So, that, that, that's what made me think of the communication. And, um, you know, we've, we've had to learn so many things over the years of just communicating. And, um, it's funny. It's like, uh, kind of as, as we're in year eight of marriage, um, it's like her love language is changing, you know, they do. Yeah. Yep. What, what are hers? I'm just curious. And what are yours? Um, so for me, it used to be physical. Um, and really, for me, like, you know, quality time and stuff was, it was important, but, um, you know, physical and 
that that was like the main one. It was like that was like so far above everything else. I'm like, dude, just you know, I don't need validation. Like I I get enough of that as an athlete. Like people have been telling me, you know, you're so great your whole life. I'm like, I don't. It just is what it is at this point. Um, you know, gifts. I don't need gifts. I don't need you know those things. Um, so for me, it was always like physical. But for her, it was always quality time. Mm-hmm. She just wanted my attention and to be present. And that is still, you know, an ongoing thing that I have to improve, especially as life gets more busy and distracting sure. and our phone gets more powerful. Yeah. And, um, you know, so like there's that. And then she always just wanted, um, you know, like acts of service and stuff. So it's like, you know, what am I doing to serve her? And, um, I like that too. I should, I should say that'd probably be like my number two as well. So it's like, how are we serving each other, you know, on a consistent basis? You have a lot of entrepreneurs, obviously listen to your show and, you know, you don't get me wrong. I, I love the physical aspect, right? That, cause that's one of the five love languages. What I can tell you is the bigger our platform gets and the busier that I get and the more demands on my time, the more I appreciate acts of service. Like when she takes something off my plate, I'm like, oh man, it makes me feel so loved. But I, you know, just for your listeners in general, right? Cause you, you mentioned something that was really powerful and that is the aha moments that come up when you read that book, that emerge from that book. What most people will do, so let's just take a man, right? Usually the the top two love languages for a man are are uh, physical touch, touch words of words of affirmation. Yeah. So the I com- agree. yeah, the compliments and the hugs and all that, right? Everything physical, right? Yeah. Now, women are usually the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. They are more gifts is always usually the last for most people, but they're quality time and acts of service, right? Yeah. So think about it for a minute. Every guy has probably made this mistake. I know for, I mean, gosh, it was probably the first eight years of our marriage that I was doing. I would, I would come up and I would, I'd, I'd kiss my wife. I'd hug her. I put my hands on her. Right. And, and she wouldn't respond to it. I'm like, man, like what is going on? Or, trying to tell you I love you. Right. And like my 15 year old who's in studio with, he will tell you that I tell my wife she's beautiful. Probably what? Like every day. <laughs> too many times too many times suck up yeah. what do they call him a simp yeah, simp, yeah. I, I, had to, I had to learn what that word was like last week but you know like i my grandfather you know i didn't have a good father figure growing up but i had this amazing grandfather and my grandfather even to the day he passed away at 73 he always told my, my grandmother how beautiful she was how much he loved her like all those things and i do think my wife's beautiful and i don't hesitate to tell her that the funny thing is is i was always wondering i was always scratching my head i'm like why is this not landing? Like, why is it not having the effect that I thought it would? And then come to find out, you know, it's quality time, acts of service. So like nothing fills her love tank more than if I take something that maybe is on her mind or heart, or maybe it's something around the house and I pick up the pace and I do things. Right. And the other thing too is quality time. Like nothing will make my wife feel less important than us having a conversation and I'm on my phone. And I think that I'm a good multitasker, but I'm not, <laughs> I am not. Yeah. And most people aren't. But even, but even if you are, <laughs> I like to think I am anyways, but even if you are, that still misses the point of what quality time is. It's sacrificing the other stuff you could be doing to spend time only, you know, with your wife. And, uh, that, that, that's one for me, you know, obviously as, as businesses grow and success grows and social media, it's like, dude, my phone literally could just be going nonstop if I allowed it to. And, um, that it's just a ongoing conversation that, Hey, we, we've got to continue to make quality time a priority. And when we do make it a priority, then, you know, really commit to it. Don't just say, okay, we're going to do quality time. And then, you know, the phone's just sitting there on the counter like this temptation. And um, one way we've been doing it is, uh, you know, every Friday night we've been doing date night. So, um, you know, we, we leave the kids at home. We go out to a nice dinner here, usually on the strip. And uh, it's super fun. And that's our way of having quality time of just us. And, um, you know, I've enjoyed doing that. Um, another thing you brought up, though, that kind of relates to the five love languages Um and communication is a book I read called uh, Surrounded by Idiots. <laughs> it's fun. I just keep saying like these dumb These books. titles are fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got the road less <laughs> stupid 
and then surrounded by idiots. You guys are going to have like five books to read after this podcast. Um, but what that book is about is uh, the four personality types. And so many people have done like the disc test and stuff like that. And it essentially takes that concept and helps people to realize like, yo, what kind of person um, are you communicating with? Like, how do they interpret what you're saying and what you're doing? And for me anyways, as I've grown as a leader and had a ton of employees and, you know, coming from a sales background, just like you, you know that, hey, you're whoever it is you're negotiating with or trying to lead, like you need to communicate them however it is that they communicate. I can't just force myself onto whoever it is. And that's one thing like that book talked about is like really identifying what kind of communicator they are right out the gate and then communicating with them that way. Yeah, you've got to speak, I think, people's language, right? I mean, that that is extremely important. Um, I, I know the book that, thank you, yeah. I'll be put on my list. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I can share one other, one other communication tactic that, that we teach that I think most people miss. Uh, and it's probably one of the most important, you know, men, have you ever seen the video? It's not about the nail. No, you got to watch it. It's like three minutes. It's hysterical. Okay. But it's basically this man, this woman, they're on the couch and the guy is listening to his wife and she's like, Oh God, you know, like, I feel like there's so much pressure on my head. I don't know what it is, but my head always hurts. And like, it's right between my eyes and like, I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden she looks towards him and she's got a nail sticking right out of her head. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, you do have a nail sticking out of your head. You should just pull that thing out. And she's like, you're not listening. And he's like, no, I think I'm pretty sure if you pull that nail out, yeah. you'll be fine. And she's like, God, you do this all the time. Don't try to fix it. So anyway, yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to your wife, right? There are two avenues that you can take when she's talking and that is you either fix it or you use tactical empathy, right? Tactical empathy allows her to feel seen and heard and connected. Now there are times where your wife is leaning in and she's like, I need some help figuring this out. I don't go there unless number one, she asks or I ask her, do you want me to help you find solutions or would you like me to listen? I'm good either way. What feels best to you? I don't say, what do you want? I say, what feels right? What feels best, mm -hmm. right? Because at that point in time, when they're sharing something, it's a, they're in a heightened emotional state. Now, I'll give you an example of what I used to do. I hope, take notes on this one, Ethan. Uh, what I used to do, I think is very common. I come home, you know, from work or I, you know, whatever. And, and my wife be like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so stressed out. Like, I got a call from, you know, this person today or that person, you know, and the kids were acting out and I didn't get anything done today. And how I used to respond, I would be, why are you so upset? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, you know, if the kids are doing this, then we need to do that. And as far as like, this is concerned, that phone call, why didn't, why didn't you handle it like this? I know I'd get whooped if I said like, that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> so <laughs> like, it's not a big deal. Right. Oh, that's like the dumbest thing I could say. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but what I can tell you is that, and, and I'm going to say this twice. Empathy does not mean agreement. Empathy does not mean agreement. And the other thing I'll say too is empathy is different than sympathy because sympathy sounds like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you today. And what happens in that moment, while it sounds okay to the person saying it, the one receiving it, it's like, oh, you're up here and I'm down here. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And it's like this little pat on the head, right? right. Empathy is different. Empathy is, I feel how you feel. I see you. I hear you. How can I best support you? So what that would look like, that's what I used to do before. Now, what I say is I have, th I have three different phrases that I use. My wife knows that I do it, <laughs> but it helps me and it helps keeps things simple. It also helps me be a better listener. So when my wife is saying something like that, I'll say, wow, sounds like that's, sounds like that's a pretty overwhelming day. And, uh, how can I best support you right now? What feels right? You know, and the reception that I get from her is like, I just need you to listen for a minute. Or I'm just really stressed out. Can I go for a run? And can you stay here with the kids? Something like that. But what we'll do is, and I'll also follow it up with, tell me more. What else is going on? You know, it sounds like that's pretty overwhelming. What? Tell me more. You know, and what you're doing is, is you are inviting. You're inviting your wife to share more. Now, if she's, if she's sharing things and I'm just, and then back of my mind, I could be like, I don't understand why she's so stressed out. Like, I don't have to agree with her feeling that way. However, that's not my goal. 
my goal is to connect. My goal is to help her get clarity by her talking and me just being a sounding board, right? So if men can do that one little thing using that, that element of tactical empathy, that changes the game for connection. It changes the game for how you guys are going to communicate within your marriage, right? Because we immediately, we immediately want to, we all, we actually feel like we are doing a disservice to our wives if we don't jump right in and solve their problems. But nothing will at times, not all the time, will make a woman feel more disconnected to you than if you try to jump in and like solve all of our problems. Yeah. yeah. No, I learned that early on for sure. You know, as an entrepreneur, I'm always like, yeah, you know, there's a problem. Like, let's just get it done with like, what, you know, what did I do wrong? Like, what, what do you want? You know? And, yeah. uh, yeah. like, let's just squash this now. And I learned that no, it doesn't work like that. You know, everybody's got a different timeline. My timeline is right this moment. Let's get it done. No point in having hard feelings or whatever. Other people's timeline is like, Hey, I gotta like, let this, I can't talk to you today. It, it's going to be tomorrow when I'm ready to talk to you or, you know, another communication thing I've learned is like, um, with my wife, she doesn't like to, uh, talk about issues like face to face. She would rather like text me about it. And, uh, she's just better at communicating her feelings via that way. And, uh, she's much, you know, we're much more likely to solve it. Whereas I'm like, Hey, if I got an issue, like we're going to address it now. Like I do that with employees or sure. whoever, right? Yeah. Like I ain't going to text you. I'm like, let's do this. Um, so there's no right or wrong way. Yeah. You just have to know how they want to communicate. I think that's spot on. Right. And the theme, I think that you're really hitting on here and you probably already know it is, uh, creating an environment of psychological safety where a person feels safe or safer to share whatever it is, what's on their mind or heart, uh, and not to feel judged, not to feel shamed or guilted. Right. So like, for instance, even if we're taught, you know, if, if, if your wife, right, if she feels better texting you about something, hey, that's fine too. Now, if if you're a type A entrepreneur like you and I are, right, we want to just barrel in, pick up the phone, FaceTime, like, hey, let's figure this out, right? But at the same time, there are different things that we can do to create an environment of psychological safety with, with kids and with our wives, even with our employees and with our customers, right? Uh, there's certain types of body language, right? Like if you talk to somebody, like so for instance, right now, you and I being side by side like this and not face to face is actually increasing our level of psychological safety where we're probably more prone to talk about things that we otherwise wouldn't because we're side by side. If you're face to face with someone, uh, it increases more of a defensiveness, right? It keeps them on it, it. Your chances of them being defensive or even you are higher because you're toe to toe and nose to nose, right? So walking together is something that's really powerful because you're walking in the same direction. Mm. Walking outside is a big one. I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, if me or if one of my boys, if we're going to have a difficult conversation, even though it sounds relaxing and a better environment for me to take them to a coffee shop and sit face to face with them, it doesn't land too well for them. But if I say, hey, let's go up to Sonic and get a soda where we're driving side by side, we have that difficult conversation on the way there. We get our soda, we catch up, talk about other things, you know, have a good time. Then on the way back, we address solutions of what what needs to happen, right? So having the difficult conversations when you're side by side is actually will land better on the other side, especially if it's one of those critical conversations. Yeah, no, I love that. I think, honestly, that's the biggest takeaway that, um, not the biggest, there's a bunch of takeaways, but I think that's like the easiest, most applicable thing somebody could take away from this is like, yeah, something hard to say, sit by, side by side. And, you know, when I picture that scene in like a movie of like having a difficult conversation, you know, they're like sitting on top of the stairs or something like just side by side, kind of going over it. Um, and it for sure works. I've actually, um, learned that from door to door sales guys, you know, when they knock on the door, they knock sideways like this. Really? Yep. Yeah. You know, cause if they, if they square up with the person, it's, it's intimidating. If you're knocking sideways, it's, it's very less intimidating. So they're trained to, to knock like that. And they're trained to talk like that as if like they're, you know, looking at them there, but they're also looking, you know, outside the door. And, um, so they use the same yeah. tactics. Yeah. If, if you're a fan of Goodwill hunting, you seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. So when Robin Williams finally has his very first breakthrough with Matt Damon, they're on a park bench. 
right side by side. Now, exactly. how many therapists did that guy go through, right, before he finally got to Robin Williams and he was just going to, like, send him off just like every other one? But they were sitting side by side. It finally opened him up. That was the first step into him healing was that side-by-side conversation. Yeah, I believe it. So, you know, as we, as we wrap up here, um, I've got a final question for you, and this is a selfish question. Um, but being that your podcast and your brand is about being a good dad and being a good husband, um, and my, you know, I'm very public about wanting to do the same things as well. How is it with the pressure of like, man, okay, this is my brand as, you know, an entrepreneur and everything. And, uh, you know, I got to actually go execute this every day and, you know, you're going to fail. It just is what it is in life. How do you deal with that? That is, I always say, um, I love 98% of what I do. That very thing, what you just mentioned is the 2%. Um, so I'll, I'll share and, and, I, I'm very transparent about my the things that I screw up on. I am not a perfect father. Um, in my house, every day is not sunshine and rainbows. Right, there's screw ups every day. You used, used to play baseball. Yep. Right. Um, you you were operating at an elite level with baseball, uh, but did you expect to hit a home run every time you got to the plate, or did you expect to hit a single every time you got to the plate? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, what I can tell you is my my batting average has improved right and the the poor performance is a great deal less than than the good performance that's there now the other thing too is that i have awareness and i have learnings now that when i do mess up i can pivot faster i can make less mistakes and instead of going down a rabbit hole of self sabotage i can learn from that mistake and I'd say the, the final thing I'll say here in closing is you and I talked about in the very beginning of this podcast that a lot of men, physically, we don't live isolated, right? Mentally and emotionally, a lot of us live isolated. Mm-hmm. I love the movie, um, uh, what was it? Um, the one with Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. They were in jail. Shawshank. Shawshank oh, yeah, Redemption, yeah. 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 That illustrates there. There's so many illustrations, so many, so many themes in that particular movie that are applicable to men's lives. Those men were in prison. They were eating terrible food that was filled with maggots, um, but they had each other. They had Morgan Freeman, Tim, Tim uh, Robbins, and then the, the crew, you know, Brooks and all of them. They had community. They created an environment where they had like-minded men that would build them up when things were were poor, right? They elevated each other. One of the worst things that that a man can go through is being put in the hole, right, for 30 days or 60 days like Andy Dufresne did. That's hell. Unfortunately, most men physically, I'm sorry, mentally and emotionally are walking through things like that where they're in the hole. And if men just step into community of like-minded men, when those times in your life do happen, and they will happen, right, you lose your patience on your kid, you spank and you didn't want to. You have a fight with your wife. You, did, you said things that you didn't want to say. Instead of staying in the hole, you can surround yourself with the right people that are going to elevate you and be like, hey, man, here's how we pivot, okay? Here, you made the mistake. Here's how we make it right, and here's what we learn. Otherwise, what happens is, is most men will continue to live there. Man, that's a, that's a lonely life to live for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm with you, man, so... It's all about that community, and and that's why I love you know what you're doing with the dad um, edge, and uh, you know where can people find out more about that? So if you're listening to this show after August first, everything you can you can find everything at thedadedge.com. Uh, we are moving from gooddadproject.com to thedadedge.com. Uh, if you're interested in our community, you can find everything we're doing at uh, thedadedge.com forward slash alliance for that. Uh, the podcast, you can download that on anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're, we're even we're on Pandora, even iTunes, obviously, Apple, Stitcher, everywhere. Uh, we're on YouTube, on YouTube as well. Uh, we do have a live event coming up for men and fathers. It's a two-day event, October 21st and 22nd. Uh, it's going to be in St. Louis, Missouri. And the, this is our third annual event. And the theme of that is men have gone through hell in the past 18 months. You know, marriages are crumbling in some cases. They're more stressed. They're more uncertain than ever before. Is and stress and pressure of being a father. 
we're going to help men create a plan for the rest of 2021 as it pertains to their businesses, as it pertains to their marriages, being a father. And we are going to kick ass and take names for the rest of 2021 and into 2022 because the men are going to walk away from that particular event with a vision and a plan and the community to go execute. I love it. Thank so you. we will definitely link to all of that down below for all you dads watching and listening. Um, definitely check it out. And uh, man, just excited to have you on the show, man. Thanks for coming out to Vegas and taking Thank the you. time. And uh, guys, if you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe to both this. Go check out the Dad Edge podcast and we'll check, we'll uh, <laughs> check, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching the Ryan Pineda Show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.